thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes, share the real food reel with your friends, and continue to spread the real food love. Hi team, and welcome to another episode of The Real Food Reel. Today on The Real Food Reel, we have Diane Scranton, a naturopath and one half of the company Balanced by Nature. I have worked personally with Diane over the last year, and I'm thrilled to share her expertise with you today on The Real Food Reel. Today, Diane and I discuss two areas I have explored personally and do so with my clients, genetic testing and MTHFR. Stay with us on this one team. This is going to be packed full of new information and will change the way you think about nutrition. Hi, Diane, and thanks for coming on board to The Real Food Reel. Hi, Steph. Thank you for having me on today. It's really exciting to be a part of this. Absolutely. Let's dive straight in. And for the listeners, can you share a little bit about yourself and how you got to be a naturopath? So I've been a naturopath for about almost 12 years now, and I first got into naturopathy after illness, which I suppose a lot of people do. I had glandular fever when I was in year 11 and was really quite unwell with that, kept relapsing. And so after going to doctors and really not getting any better and not finding any answers, my mum took me to a naturopath. And within a couple of weeks, you know, I really listened to this naturopath's advice and listened to that I needed to change my diet. And he really explained to me the impact of food on my body. I took that on board and really within a couple of weeks, I saw a dramatic change. Um, It obviously took time for me to get better, but that was enough for me to go, this is what I want to do and I want to share this information with other people and let them know how good they can feel. That's fantastic. So you obviously learnt the power of food at quite a young age. That's that's it. And I think to, to learn that then, you know, looking back, glandular fever can be a very frustrating thing, but for me, it was probably a very... A blessing, really, because it you know sparked my passion for for what I want to do and enabled me to help share that message as well. Yeah, fantastic! That's a great story. So, what we really want to spend some time focusing on today is topic number one, which is genetic testing or DNA testing. So, what I'd love you to do is is share with us just sort of an overview of what that is, and then we'll dive into how it can help athletes for performance and recovery. Fantastic! So. DNA testing is, what we're looking at when we do DNA testing is epigenetic testing. So what that means, we're not looking for genes that are set in stone. For instance, things like the genes for blue eyes or brown eyes, which we really don't have a lot of influence over. We're looking at things that, um, the way our genes interact with our environment and the impact of that. So these are things that we can actually influence. For instance, all of us will need different amounts of proteins, fats and carbohydrates to function well and on the end of our genes we have tiny little markers. These little markers are kind of like light switches. So for instance if you're in a great environment and you're working with your genes those light switches will be turned off and functioning well. Otherwise we might see that if you're in an environment that's not in sync with your genes, we actually turn those light switches on. And that can mean things like higher inflammation or or disease processes starting for people. 
Right. Okay. So it is really that environmental influence that we're examining here. It's exactly right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so from a sort of a, a case point of view, what would be, I guess, an indicator or who would you choose to pursue this kind of testing with from a client point of view? Look, I really like this with all of my clients. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I suppose that once you get into DNA testing and you realise how individual it makes your treatment plan and how the the understanding that it provides for that person as to why they may be functioning this way or reacting this way to a food and not in another way that you may expect um, or why you know two people with the same diet one of those people might thrive and the other person might be really struggling so I think that DNA testing really helps us unlock that it's almost like the book of life or your instruction manual. Um, so this is something I really like to do, whether it's in a, a baby or, you know, for that person who's an athlete who's been struggling or, you know, even someone at the end of their lifespan, it's really useful at any stage. Yeah, fantastic. I think it certainly provides you with a wealth of information. Um, and I guess let's go into more around that sort of dietary specificity. I think at the moment we see lots of meal plans and eight-week programs that are, I guess, very generic in their nature. This is the opposite approach, isn't it, in terms of that specificity? That's exactly right. So what you'll see is when you do DNA testing, there is no one diet that is good for any every single person. Um, and I think that that's what I really love about DNA testing, about making that very exact. Um, for instance, even just to use the topics of oh, the example of something like fat intake, um, what we know is that you know, some people need a really a huge amount of fat in their diet to function correctly. Um, other people need a lower amount of fat. Now, not a low-fat diet, but a lower amount. And so to actually get that balance of fats, proteins and carbohydrates right for a person, you can really see that shift in things like performance, but particularly recovery as well. And I suppose that's really key when we're looking at athletes. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. And so... Let's break it down a little bit further. How would someone, um, I guess, start this process and, and what does it involve? It sounds a bit high-tech, but it's actually quite simple. It does sound very high-tech. <laughs> so I suppose genetic testing is a, a whole new area, really. Mm. The, see, the thing I love about this test is it's pain-free. So all we simply do, the test is done by a practitioner. So that might be a naturopath, nutritionist or a GP. Um, and what we do simply is you'll come along for a visit and we take a small saliva sample. So it's only a couple of mils of saliva and that then gets sent off to the lab. They process that and the lab actually checks over 100 different genes. Um, so we actually get a very detailed report as to what your body needs. <laughs> um, we go through things like the, the dietary information but also things like how well your body detoxifies or what your stress response might be how much sleep you might need or how many nutrients you might need to function correctly. So it's a really detailed report. From there, we sort of take you through that process and then get you started on the right things for your body at that point. And so it's quite a big process, but do you select the, the key points from the results for the athlete or for the, for the client to really start to change from a dietary point of view or a lifestyle point of view? Most definitely. Mm. So what we know with the DNA testing is it doesn't matter at what stage of your lifespan you do that test, it will always give you the same results. So it's a one-off test. Um, now, for instance, we might see that someone is very prone to inflammation. Now, if that person is struggling with injuries at that point in time, you know, that is the thing that I would address first off beyond anything else. Um, so it really enables us to 
tailor treatment and to actually make it very specific to getting that person back on track as fast as possible. Yeah, I love that. So all you athletes out there, inflammation and injuries, it might be time to get some DNA testing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Very enlightening, actually. Yeah. And um, I've obviously done the test, so I I know quite a lot about it. But can you share with our listeners the the gluten side of things, what's looked at with um, DNA testing and, and gluten? Yep. So we actually check the two celiac genes to see if people have those genes or not. And that's the DQ2 and DQ8 gene. Now, what we'll find is I'm seeing it increasingly that it's just very common that people Mm. come up with these genes. Um, And it's quite a surprise to a lot of these people too because often we'll find that there's no history of celiac disease in that person's family. Um, However, what we know is that people that have those celiac genes tend to react in a much stronger way to gluten than other Mm. people. Or it often predisposes them to things like other autoimmune conditions associated with gluten. So, for instance, you know, they may have a thyroid problem um, but not relate that back to the gluten that they're eating at all. Um, So that's really interesting. The other fascinating thing is that people that react very strongly to gluten and we find that they don't have the celiac genes. Um, What we often find there is that they're people who have very strong inflammatory genes. So when they eat gluten, their immune system thinks, I'm going to do a great thing for you and increase the inflammation to help you in that in what should be short term. But unfortunately, people eat gluten day after day and so that inflammation actually becomes chronic. Mm. Um, and therefore, we see it's, it's very different to having those celiac genes, but it's a, a similar process, if you like. Yeah, that's super cool. I actually like the um, the evidence that it, pro- uh, that it provides for someone that's maybe a little bit reluctant to go gluten free, or or the confirmation that a gluten free approach is 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 right for them. If they certainly know that they've got those markers or that genotype, then it can be really great from a, a, a you know a consistency point of view to follow that nutritional approach. It is, and I think it's. The, um, a lot of the other testing we see, particularly for things like celiac disease, um, secretia IgA testing can give a lot of false negatives. So I think that this really, it's confirmation, as you say, and it's, yeah. having that piece of paper just makes it easier for people, really. Yeah, wonderful. So I'm going to put together an article and I might get you to come on board with that and we'll go into some greater detail on DNA testing and we'll share that online. Um, but that's all, yeah, that's all some, some fantastic information for everyone to start the ball rolling and, and investigate uh, that in terms of their next point of call for certainly overall health and performance and recovery. Excellent. Very cool. All right, so we're going to move on to our next topic here. And this is something that's been increasing, I guess it's had increasing interest online. I've certainly seen the amount of articles increase and I've heard some fantastic podcasts. And this is in the gene MTHFR. This is something I screen my clients for, specifically for, say, fertility issues or those detoxification pathways. But let's start with the basics of MTHFR so our listeners can understand a little bit more um, and why it's relevant. Excellent. So this is one of the genes really, I suppose, that sparked my interest in DNA testing as well. It's, um, there, there is a huge amount of information out there about this. But MTHFR stands for uh, methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. Your brain. <laughs> Practice that one a lot of times. <laughs> what that basically means, though, is that this gene is an enzyme. So it's the enzyme that re- converts folate into the active form mm-hmm. that our body can utilize. So we receive folate from foods. 
um, and we receive folic acid from supplements. Now, our body needs to convert both of those forms into the compound folinic acid, and that's when we can actually utilise this. Now, people that have the one or two copies of the MTHFR gene actually have a reduced ability to convert folic acid into the active form. So what we know is that, that for some people, the reduction can be about a 35% reduced mm. ability. In other people, it can be up to 60 to 70%. So it means that that enzyme pathway is only functioning in some people at a 30% capacity. Now, we know that folate, we probably most people think of it in for pregnancy, and that's about it. Um, what we know is that we need folic acid for cell division and cell repair. Now, our cells are dividing and repairing at every single second of the day, not just during pregnancy. Cool. Um, and particularly when we're looking at athletes, I would say that you know their cells are dividing and what we want is that they repair in very quickly. So if an athlete has this gene and they're functioning at 30% reduced ability, you can imagine that their recovery from exercise and that repair process is actually going to be hampered slightly. Yeah, wow, that's pretty huge. It is. It it even has, you know, huge impacts in things like um mood. Now, we know that for moods, you know, you have to have a good mood to get your training. <laughs> mood's essential to help get you out of bed for mm. the day. Um, we know that this gene also impacts um, brain function and people that have this gene often find that they experience a bit of brain fog throughout the day. Right. Um, so it's amazing once we often address this pathway, people will say, I feel like a light bulb's gone on in my brain or I feel like a headache I had, didn't know I had has actually lifted. So it can actually have huge impacts on just day-to-day -day function but also that repair process in the body. Um, particularly for things, uh, one of the tests we can look at with this is I often check blood levels of homocysteine. So if we yes. find that someone's got the MTHFR gene, it means that they're actually not um, reducing homocysteine back down into its metabolites. Now that's something that can is not associated with great DNA repair. So we want our DNA to repair properly so that it um, doesn't have any errors and that we can go on functioning normally. So checking your blood levels of homocysteine is a really nice way to understand whether this gene is actually impacting your body in a significant way or not and how significantly we have to address that as well. Okay, so is that an example of, say, understanding whether that gene's actually switched on and, and the homocysteine is maybe some evidence of that? That's exactly right. Right. Yeah. So what you'll find is that even if we might see in a young person, for instance, a 14-year-old um, might be finding that they have a bit of brain fog at school and, you know, maybe their mood is not great, but their homocysteine levels are pretty good. So think of these genes as being like pathways. The longer we've got them, the more we can wear them out. So let's say we take that same 14-year-old and they get to maybe 35, but they've absolutely worn their system out by not eating well and they've exercised and partied and not recovered. And by this stage, they might be feeling that, you know, that brain fog is really severe. You know, they might have a bit of depression or the mood's gone a little bit further. By that stage, if we tested their homocysteine, it's likely, we're likely to find that it's actually quite high. Okay. Uh, and so it's really important that we also look at where that person is in that stage of their lifespan as well. Yeah, so then on the flip side, if, if you have continually low homocysteine, does that indicate that your lifestyle is perhaps, you know, in the right direction to support that genotype? That's exactly right. Excellent. That's, 
yeah, that indicates you're repairing really well and that your genes are really happy with what you're doing. <laughs> so it's perhaps that the MTHFR is um, not a relevant issue to you? That's, that's right. I would, um, even if someone has great homocysteine levels, it's always important to look at the symptom picture at the same time. Yeah. So because what we see, we can get you know really healthy people along that have great, really low homocysteine levels, but yet they still have this MTHFR gene. Um, and so depending on that symptom picture is, I always take that into account as well as blood results. Okay, that's a good way to look at it. So what are some strategies that we can do to, um, I guess, identify that that might be an issue? I know you've touched on the brain fog, but are there other signs and symptoms or are there maybe then strategies that we can implement to say avoid that? So unfortunately there's no real way to avoid having this gene <laughs> uh, unless you've got the ability to choose your parents and <laughs> which not most of us don't have that ability so we kind of can't get away from this so my the first thing I would say is screen and find out and yeah. if you have any inkling that you may have this gene that you know, go ahead and do the test. So some of the common symptoms, I suppose, or the things that alert me to whether I want to test people for this, are mood is absolutely number one, um, whether there's sort of changeable moods or just disruptions in mood. Um, poor sleep, and mm. it's mainly sleep maintenance. So these people you might find can get off to sleep okay, but they wake very frequently throughout the night. Um, and so that's a, another little red flag People who are having any problems with fertility or hormone yes. issues, mm. and that's absolutely huge. So this is relevant for fertility in both males and females, um, not just females, which is, I think, what we tend to focus on. Um, so you can imagine we, we obviously know how important folic acid is for pregnancy, but we need that folic acid also just for normal hormone production and conversion and detoxification of hormones too. So particularly, you know, if we see a female who's quite high in estrogen, what we know is that this MTHFR gene is essential or this pathway is essential for the detoxification of estrogen. So in females, we might find that they're very high in estrogen and maybe quite low in progesterone as a result of that. So in effect, they'll have a whole lot of PMS symptoms. They mm. may have heavy bleeding or, you know, irritability before their periods or headaches or um, just mood changes, you know, a whole range of symptoms. Men, we might see that, you know, it relates back to a, a lower sperm count or higher estrogen levels in men and lower uh, testosterone production as well. So it's really important to not forget about the males with fertility there. Yeah, I think it's certainly 50-50, but we've um, lost our way over the years just looking at females. That's, that's right. But it's <laughs> time after time I see that really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. And so just on the fertility issue, because I think this is this is huge and certainly a, a fantastic area for people to explore if they are experiencing those issues. Um, what, would, what do you say about, say, the prescription of folate for um, preconception? Mm, this is something that actually concerns me, really. Mm, the, me too. <laughs> uh, yeah, because it's, it's just a, a standard approach so that every person, every woman who thinks about having a child is told by their GP to take folate beforehand or folic acid um, and you know we see tv ads we see cereal boxes with this advertised on it it's, it's just everywhere um, unfortunately people that have this mthfr gene particularly those that have the 60 to 70 percent reduced ability to convert folic acid 
what this means is that that folate they're taking, they're only utilising around about 30% of that. The other problem is that that folic acid, because they're not converting it, it builds up in the red blood cells. Yeah. Um, and this is something that people will often go and have a blood test done and say, well, I've got really high fol red blood cell folate levels. Uh, now, that's not a healthy thing. <laughs> no. um, so that's really almost a concern more than anything else. Um, if that's not being utilised, that can lead to other disease processes in the body which are not ideal. So it's a, a really essential thing. There's an interesting piece of research that found that women who do supplement with folic acid right throughout their pregnancy that do have the MTHFR gene actually have a, a risk of having a or high risk of having a child with asthma later in life. Wow. Um, so, it, you know, it does cause other problems just because a little bit of something is good for someone doesn't mean it's good for everyone. Yeah, again, we're coming to that case-by-case case scenario, aren't we? That's, that's it, yeah. Yeah, excellent. So what I wanted to sort of clarify on MTHFR is that, um, you know, how it's addressed, how I guess it, it can be nothing of a concern. I feel like some of the um, noise online is fear-based when really if you're aware of it and you put a few steps in place, it won't affect health, performance, fertility. So can you touch on that and maybe give us a little bit of an example as to what you would do to um, to manage that? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. I often, if people have done a little research before they you know, come for a visit and they've, they've looked up this gene, they will often say, oh, I don't want to be tested, I don't want to have those conditions or I don't want to know that I'm going to get those conditions. And really what you'll find is that the information that's out there are for people that are not addressing that gene. So mm. it's when that pathway has been totally worn out that those conditions are the end result of that. Yeah, correct. Now, and so I think that's important to remember, knowing, knowledge is power. So initially I'm always a big fan of ensuring that people do consume enough natural folate in their diet through food. So obviously that's green leafy vegetables and things like avocado. And those sorts of foods also contain the cofactors that we need for the conversion of that folic acid. So things like B6, B12. B12 obviously you'll get in much higher amounts from animal products. Now if we do find that someone has this gene though, it's actually really simple to address. Yeah. Um, we actually just use the active form of folic acid, which is called folinic acid, and I like to prescribe that with other active B vitamins. So what that means is the body doesn't actually have to do the conversion process. They're there. They can be utilised straight away, and it really has quite an immediate impact on some people. Yeah, so to me that sounds like two supplements and some green leafy veg and some avocado, which is Pretty awesome, really. <laughs> Pretty simple, really. Yeah, plus a lot of benefit. <laughs> Excellent. Super interesting topic, and I'm sure we could speak all day on it, but there's some fantastic points for people to consider. Um, and thanks so much for sharing that with us. Pleasure. Beautiful. So let's uh, change track a little bit and summarise just on what you think is uh, the most important piece of a nutrition advice whether it's related to the, what we've discussed today or not? Oh, the, this is a really tricky one. <laughs> Number one piece of nutrition advice. Um, I would probably say the thing that I, I suppose find myself saying in practice more than anything else is eat food that's as close to its natural state as possible. Yeah. Um, so, you know, whether that's a green leafy vegetable or you know whether we're talking about a grain here it still needs to be as close to its natural state as possible and I think that that's the 
you're going to be pretty healthy if you follow that advice. <laughs> yeah, and that's the overall message of the real food reel. We just need to keep it as close to nature as possible. That's it. Excellent. And so let's find out a little bit more about you. Can you share with us what a day on your plate looks like, Diane? Definitely. So my plate actually constantly changes, Good, <laughs> which is a good thing. That's right. Depending on whether it's summer or winter. And at the moment, we're at the start of summer here in Melbourne. Um, so the things that I'm eating at the moment, uh, generally I start the day with, or at the moment I'm absolutely loving some chia pudding. Um, so I have that with, make that with some coconut milk and just add some berries on top of that. Um, if it's not, that's when I'm sort of out the door early for work and that type of thing. If I've got a little bit more time, my favorite thing at the moment is eggs and nitrate free bacon. So that with a little bit of greens or whatever I've got in the fridge is a fantastic breakfast. And I really find that that keeps me going for a fair while throughout the day. Beautiful. Um, Next thing, if I haven't had eggs for breakfast, they probably feature in my lunch, I would yeah. say. That's something like a, an omelette just with, again, throwing a whole lot of veggies and whatever I've got in the fridge there. Um, if I'm out, I love to grab things like a chicken salad or just some sashimi and a seaweed salad. I find that's a nice, quick sort of takeaway meal. Good. Great idea. Afternoon. My afternoon lately, I just have to have a kombucha. It's kombucha time in the afternoon for me. So <laughs> that's always a nice thing to sort of just see me through to dinner time. Dinner normally at this time, I'm actually moving into eating a little bit more raw food and salads, moving away from sort of the roast veggies and too many of the cooked veggies. Um, and actually doing a lot of Mexican flavors at the moment with so sort of alternating between beef and chicken and fish at night time and just a range of veggies. I actually get a box of veggies delivered each week, so which I find excellent because I don't get to choose what veggies I eat and it forces me to eat a nice variety. Yeah, it's a great strategy to, to get you out of your comfort zone with for the yeah. typical recipes. <laughs> it really is. That's, yeah, which is excellent. So that's kind of a typical day for me, really. Sounds lovely. Certainly making me hungry just thinking about it. <laughs> Beautiful. So what's next for Balance by Nature? What's on your plate for 2015? So we've actually got a lot coming up in 2015 for Balance by Nature. We're kicking off the year with a, a cleanse um, and we've just designed a very basic, really just healthy food. Um, so it's a, a week program just to give people, a, get them back on track with their food and just get back to basics with eating some real food again um, that's kicking off on January the 12th and then we've also got a something really exciting coming out in the next couple of months which is related to the related to tea but slightly different so can't say too much on that Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've seen the lots happening over on um, your social media and website so it sounds like there's more to come there is, yep. So it's going to be an exciting year, 2015. Super Can't wait. cool. Great. So where can our listeners find you, Dee? So we're at our website is balancedbynature.com.au and Facebook, Balanced by Nature. We're also on Instagram as well, so connect with us there. And we practice out of uh, Life Care in Mentone. Beautiful. So we'll put all those links in the show notes, team. Go and check out Balanced by Nature and learn more about certainly DNA testing and everything we've discussed today. Thanks so much for being a part of the Real Food Real D. It was great to chat and I'm sure we'll catch up again in the future. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Steph. Beautiful. Take care. Bye-bye. 
Hi, it's Damien Christoph here. 2015 marks perhaps the most important event the Wellness Couch has ever conducted. We've had two sold-out wellness summits these last years, but honestly, nothing will come close to our first ever wellness breakthrough. Your favourite Wellness Couch experts, the Up For A Chat girls, Quirky Cookies Joe Whitten, Stu Hayes, Marcus Pierce, and of course the Wellness Guys are all gathering in Dandong Ranges for three days and two nights for one incredible event. If you want possibly the greatest peer group in health and wellness to help you catapult your life to the next level, then we'd love to see you at the Wellness Breakthrough in February. For more information, go to www.thewellnesscouch.com. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavour to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.